Thank you for joining us for another episode of Baker Hosts Ad Nauseum, a podcast series focusing on new and trending advertising issues with an emphasis on the FTC and NAD. I'm Leah Brave and you're listening to Baker Hosts. We are once again joined by Amy Mudge and Daniel Kaufman, two partners from Baker Hostetler's advertising, marketing, and digital media team. Together, they have decades of advertising experience and approach advertising issues from multiple perspectives. On today's episode of Ad Nauseum, Amy and Daniel will cover an issue that is near and dear to their hearts, celebrity endorsers. They will discuss an old FTC case involving a former Major League Baseball player that went all the way to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and a recent FTC settlement involving television celebrity endorsers. With that, welcome to Ad Nauseum and let's turn it over to Amy and Daniel. Thanks and welcome back to another episode of Ad Nauseum. Today might be my most favorite topic ever. Daniel and I are going to delve into the very sexy topic of celebrity influencers and explore what the FTC is doing or not doing as far as going after those people who very effectively sell us products all the time. And what I was most excited about is the FTC brought a case a couple of weeks ago that I believe was the FTC's first case where influencers themselves paid money. We're going to unpack that a little bit, but it's also delicious that this was a case that was all about house flipping. So I first must stop and ask Daniel, what is your favorite home remodeling show? So, you know, it is not my favorite genre of reality TV, to be clear. All about storage wars. I can watch, you know, episode after episode of storage wars until, you know, the day turns into night. But zombie house flipping, it's sort of one of the less popular ones I, I've gotten obsessed what? with. Yeah, no, it's, it's the sort of you take a real rundown house. Something always goes wrong in the middle of it. And they think they're not going to make the closing date. But inevitably they do. And there's a cute dog on the show called Marley. Again, I don't think it's one of the more popular ones, but zombie house flipping. Where do the zombies come in? There are no zombies. It's just zombie houses. You'll have, you know, a lovely neighborhood and there's one sort of dilapidated house and that's a zombie house. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You went niche. I get it. That's cool. I'm going to go super old school. I love the old original trading spaces back in the day. And I think that's where Ty Pennington got his start. Ty Pennington has certainly since then had a great illustrative career as a celebrity influencer himself. I've seen on TikTok some of those great clips of people in trading spaces who were really upset at the results. I mean, those are those are incredibly entertaining. Why you would let people into your home and allow them to redo a room in 24 hours. I feel like that was buyer beware from the get go. But before we talk about the FTC's case, I'd like you to go back, kicking it old school, Daniel, even older school than trading spaces, and talk about how the FTC has looked at celebrity endorsers. And this was before we even had the word influencers. Yeah, look, there is a granddaddy of an FTC case that they brought in the early 2000s. So so the FTC had sued a company for uh, infomercials they made for a weight loss system. The products were great. It was Fat Trapper and Exercise in a Bottle. What could possibly be wrong about that? So the FTC sued the company, but then they decided to also bring a lawsuit against Steve Garvey, who, for those who don't know, he's a very famous first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, or was a first baseman back then. So the FTC sued him. The case went to trial and it ends up in a decision in the Ninth Circuit and a real analysis and discussion as to 
what would be the liability for someone like Steve Garvey, who appeared in infomercials for this company? And these were, to be clear, very popular infomercials, sales of over $100 million. $100 million back then was quite a lot of money, still a lot of money today. So highly successful infomercials. And the court gave a very generous standard to when in those situations would a celebrity endorser be liable. And, and what the court looks at, there's a quote here, the FTC failed to show that Garvey was recklessly indifferent to the truth of his statements or was aware that fraud was highly probable. And part of what gets the court to that decision is Garvey himself used the weight loss system and he lost approximately eight pounds during a three to four week period. His wife lost a lot of weight as well. And he'd also reviewed two booklets containing substantiation materials for fat trapper and exercise in a bottle. And based upon that indicia, the court was not going to hold Steve Garvey liable. So, you know, when you have a decision like that coming out of the Ninth Circuit, I think that made the FTC a little bit gun shy for the next decade or two when looking at issues involving celebrity endorsers. Very interesting. Reckless indifference, you say. High standard to meet. This is actually fascinating to me now with this reckless indifference. How does this mesh with or does it at all with the standard that the FTC applies to when they hold individuals liable in a case? People like CEOs, CMOs, because we know we're seeing that with increasing regularity. Yeah, I mean, we are definitely seeing a lot more of it. Look, it is a much higher standard than what the FTC generally has to meet for individuals, whether they're seeking money or injunctions. I mean, generally, you're looking for substantial involvement in the underlying facts and maybe knew or should have known or a standard like that. But reckless indifference, much higher, being aware that fraud was highly probable, much higher as well. So when you're you're talking about high burdens to meet, Garvey laid out a, a very high standard for the FTC there. Okay, well, let's dive into this house flipping case and tell us what happened here. There's a lot going on in this case. I know it's been going on for years and was part of a focus that marketing practices had in the get rich quick area over investing in in real estate. But we're going to focus more on the celebrity endorsers. Thanks, Amy. So the case starts in 2020. The FTC sues this company called Nudge with respect to sort of make money through real estate. They were hosting seminars throughout the country, charging people up to tens of thousands of dollars to learn how to basically flip homes. And in 2020, the FTC amends the complaint. This is where it gets interesting to name two celebrity endorsers. There's Scott Yancey from Flippin Vegas and Dean Graziozzi. And I'm sorry if I'm getting that name wrong, who's both an author and an infomercial star. Both Scott Yancey and Dean were featured and appeared in seminars and, and promotional campaigns for Nudge, promoting how people can make money through a proven formula investing in real estate. But according to the FTC, of course, the seminars did not deliver on the product, and it was part of an overall scheme to sell additional training and personalized coaching, often through telemarketing that would cost tens of thousands of dollars to consumers. Uh, And the FTC in the amended complaint, they focus a great deal on the celebrity endorsers' conduct, on how they were aware of many consumer complaints. And part of this ties into Garvey. I mean, there's a lot more in this complaint about the celebrity endorsers' awareness of the bad products, about the fact that some consumers were on the internet posting complaints that were calling out the celebrity endorsers by name, and that endorsers communicated with some of the nudge defendants about trying to place positive reviews on sites. So there's a lot in the complaint that goes beyond 
the underlying facts that you saw in Garvey that shows more alleged direct involvement of the celebrity endorsers with the underlying marketing of the product. And so the FTC amends the complaint back in 2020. The case obviously litigates for a while. And to be clear, the, the specific violation, because there's lots and lots of violations, for the celebrity endorsers, the FTC says that they violated the telemarketing sales rule by providing substantial assistance or support to the nudge defendant. So it's an assisting and facilitating count under the telemarketing sales rules. So the case litigated for a while. The FTC had a pretty successful summary judgment decision on a bunch of issues. And we finally see the settlement a few weeks ago. And you know, the celebrity endorsers paid money here. Graziosi pays $1.25 million. And Yancey, there is a $4.5 million judgment against him that is subject to an avalanche clause. And he pays $450,000. You know, that that is real money when you're talking about individuals. Wow. They got about 15 million or so from the company, something like that. I'm guessing how they would get extract million, million or millions out of out of celebrity influencers is because of the TSR hook as opposed to this being a garden variety section five case. Yeah. I mean, this is a case where, look, assuming the FTC would have been able to prove substantial assistance under the TSR, this is a case where the FTC can get either civil penalties or redress by using Section 19 of the FTC Act. Don't make me go all wonkish on this. Oh, I know you love it. I know you love it. Even more than zombies, you will wonk out on the FTC's ability to get money. No. I wrote this great blog about Section 19 of the FTC Act and how that is the key tool that's allowing the FTC to get money in a lot of these cases that we're seeing now. It was a great blog. It was a beautiful <laughs> blog, a blog we did not co-offer because I cannot be distracted from celebrity endorsers. So what I was going to flag, though, is I really do think this is the, I don't, maybe I missed one, but I, I don't think so. I really do think that this was the first case where the FTC went after and got money from an individual endorser. It wasn't the first time the FTC promoted they did so. Back in 2017, the FTC brought a case involving a company called CSGO Lotto and said very loudly and proudly that this was the first case that it was bringing against ape gaming influencers. These gaming influencers were promoting essentially gambling for skins that they had won on a related website and said things like, brah, I've won like $8,000 worth of CSGO skins today on at CSGO Lotto. I can't even believe it. I bet this was the first time in the FTC's blog that bra appeared and the FTC answered, well, bras, while we're on the subject of things we cannot even believe, did either of you like consider clearly disclosing that you owned the company, a material connection requiring disclosure under the FTC laws. So to my mind, this was certainly the first, maybe the first influencer case, and it's what the FTC put in headlines, I think to probably try to scare some influencers straight. But at the end of the day, that was a case where the influencers themselves were also the owners of the company. So it was really as if the FTC was going after what it usually does, the brand itself. And that's why I was really interested in the house flipping case. Yeah. And you look, you can't ignore the Garvey case because that is Ninth Circuit precedent that's out there that creates some challenges for the FTC. But once you have facts that are different than the Garvey case, when you can show more involvement in the underlying matter, more, more financial involvement, more financial entanglement, more, more actions to help 
whatever the underlying issue is, you know, you can get out of the Garvey area and go after individuals. That said, look, the FTC's priority tends to be the brands. That's where, you know, you tend to find a lot of the money in the brands and less so in the influencers, though if the influencers are raking in some real money, certainly the FTC will be looking at them as a possible way to help get money back to consumers. Do you think so? The very first influencer case that I was privileged to work on was a settlement involving a company called Machinima. And the FTC investigated the brand, investigated the digital media agency, and closed those investigations with no action. But settled against Machinima, Machinima was basically an an agency that worked directly with the influencers. So not the influencers themselves, but really one step away and not the brand. And I will tell you, I think the most professional fun I have ever had was in the summer of 2017 when the FTC sent warning letters to influencers, or actually to who they thought were influencers and brands. Um, And these were some big celebrities that got these letters. Some were the classic reality television stars, the Lisa Arenas of the world, but there were some really big name celebrities, Heidi Klum's and folks like that. And I really thought this was gonna be the next big thing, but it really wasn't. It kind of, after that, after getting a whole lot of promotion and publicity over sending these letters, not a lot has happened. Now, AMC happened, so maybe the issue with getting money was a stumbling block as well. It's AMG, not AMC. You're so focused on the celebrity aspect here. <laughs> that was a substantive verbal typo. I hate that. I hate when that happens. Since we are live and unscripted, we will not do a do-over. AMG. But anyway, do you think the FTC really will go after influencers again? Or would you, if you were a betting man, do you think that the focus will stay on the brands who employ and incent the influencers? So I think they will focus more on the brands. But look, if there are influencers out there who are not responsive, if the FTC reaches out, if they're getting a warning letter and they're not responsive, yes, the FTC will follow up with some sort of action. Look, the reality is starting to set in that like the public is much more generally aware of influencers and the role they play and that they're being compensated. And look, I think all those issues are very real. And the FTC staff understands that consumer awareness about influencers and their compensation has changed from where it was 10 years ago. So they really want the brands to be doing what they can to manage their influencers and to to make sure they're being monitored and they're making the right disclosures. A lot easier to go after one brand that hires 100 different influencers than to go after 100 different influencers. I think that is really good news. I'm really interested, Daniel, in what you said, that the FTC's thinking is evolving as well as far as looking at consumer understanding. FTC staff understanding. Is it at all the levels of the FTC? That I'm not sure. (laughs) But I really think it's good government to have the FTC staff focusing on consumers and what consumers actually understand when they consume web content with influencers and recognizing that the internet shoppers are are getting savvier. I think that's a great thing to hear, and I certainly hope that doesn't go to the wayside. That said, your disclosures, make them clear, make them conspicuous. You don't want to be an easy target, to be very clear about that. I think that is an excellent place to end, Daniel. If you were speaking to a celebrity influencer as the luminary FTC enforcer, (laughs) ex-FTC enforcer that you are, what would you tell celebrity influencers to stay on the right side of the line? 
I mean, first I was going to ask if I can be a plus one to go to like the Emmys or the Tonys or the Oscars, because that would be a dream come true. But look, my, my main advice would always be you can't assume that people know you're getting money for this. And the fact that you're getting money for this is relevant to people. You know, it, it makes a difference in how they view what you're saying. So you owe it upon your fans and the public to make it clear that, look, I'm associating my name with this product and I am being compensated for this. And here's some information about the product that I can share for you. So it's the right thing to do. It, transparency is, is a good value. And again, I'm ready to be a plus one for any awards ceremony. I'll, I'll pick up a new tuxedo, whatever it takes. I don't think my old tux fits me anymore. I'd try to somehow combine the two. Daniel, I think what you need to do is go back and get some of that fat in the bottle trapper that Steve Garvey <laughs> had such great success with, and maybe then that tux will fit you again. Exercising model is like the dream come true. It is such a great name. I think I actually think the lawsuit the FTC got a trade name excision for exercise in a bottle, I believe. We can talk about some other time. It's a rarely imposed remedy that the FTC has sought. We will put that on the list for next topics. And with that, we thank you so much for joining us for this celebrity version of Ad Nauseum. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amy and Daniel. If you have any questions for Amy or Daniel, their contact information is in the show notes. For more information on the latest developments in ad law, visit our Attorneys Law blog at www.adtourneyslawblog.com and check out all Ad Nauseam podcasts by subscribing to Baker Hosts wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.